Let's all stand together and uh, grab our Bibles. I'm going to read from the book of Romans this morning, Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. And we are, uh, we're wrapping up our series on the book of Romans. As you'll open your Bible, you'll recognize that chapter 14 is not the last chapter. There is still more to go in this book, but we are ending our time in it. We didn't cover it all. And we'll be back at some point to get more out of this amazing book. But we have studied and learned and grown as we've thought primarily about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of what it is that God has done in and through his son Jesus for the world, through his life and death and resurrection, the transformation that is possible because of the gospel, the power that is the gospel to change lives. And so we've called it, we've just been calling this unashamed, because we want to be people who are living unashamed, as we think about, in, especially in terms of our relationship to the good news of Jesus, because this is good news. This is the good news that has changed your life, many of you, and good news that is changing the lives of, of the world. So let me read this uh, passage from chapter 14, verses 1 through 12, and while it's not the end of the book, it's a great conclusion to our study of this book. It brings into into great view some key, key themes. Uh, At the end, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and you can say thanks be to God. Accept other believers who are weak in faith, and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything. That's some of us here in this room, isn't it? Um... But another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. That's also some of us. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor Him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord both of the living and of the dead. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. The scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. All right, one, two, three. The fourth week is the charm. Talar and Joshua. 
three weeks ago, you and Kale were here, and I failed to introduce him. Then again, two weeks. Then last week, I introduced him, but he wasn't here. <laughs> now I'm introducing him, and he is here. And Talar and Joshua, your newest addition to your family, there he is, Kale Joshua LaForge. Yes. And the newest addition to our family as well. And we are so grateful that he is here. And we are praying for you, that the Lord would sustain you and give you strength in these uh, early days of his life, and uh, that um, Grayson would also uh, just um, find, this, this family would just find a great fit. So God bless you. We're trusting uh, for his provision in, in your family and in your life. And you can cover him back up if you want, or you can leave him, but I'll just stare at him probably like the whole time, but that's okay. This, uh, this Friday night, I got to be a part of a, a gathering. Kyla and I both were invited to come and be a part of a gathering at, uh, at New Life Church here in town. Some of you are familiar with New Life Church. And over on Alamar, it's a great church. And, uh, and several weeks ago, I got an invitation to come and be a part of, of a gathering they were having on Friday night um, to celebrate, or actually to kick off a weekend-long celebration of the 90th anniversary of that church. Praise God for a church uh, carrying on for 90 years in Santa Barbara. And, uh, you know, Pastor Dale Swanson there is a good friend of mine, and I got that invitation, and I told him, I said, man, I looked at the schedule on the invitation of all the events and activities that were going on Friday night, all day Saturday, all day today, and in your invitation, you only asked me to come to one thing, so I figured I could at least do that. Just don't make me come all day Saturday or all day Sunday, but I could probably come Friday night. So I came on, on Friday night with Kyla, and, uh, and there were a few other pastors that had gathered there as well, Pastor Dave from Light and Life Goleta Church, and Pastor Rollman from the Spanish ministry at Calvary Baptist Church, and Pastor Eric, another Spanish pastor in church from the New Life uh, Agua Viva uh, Spanish Church. And another pastor from down in Ventura, and another former pastor. And we all sat there on the front row of that gathering, and we worshiped the Lord, and we thanked the Lord. And uh, it was an amazing, beautiful time as we gathered together. And really, the, the, the gathering on that night, and my, and my ability to be there and to be so comfortable and, and so at home, in a sense, with Pastor Dale and the other pastors and their whole congregation really came as, as a result of, of a whole number of years of the growth of those relationships. It's probably about 17 years ago that pastors from around our city began gathering together once a month to, to pray together. And we kicked that off again this fall, just this past Thursday, and after taking a couple of months off during the summer. But we gather together and we, we pray, and, 
And there's lots of things that could divide us, but, but we've just decided to pray together. And really, to just pray about a couple of things, to pray for the fullness of Jesus in his church, that the church would grow and, and become all that he would have us to be, and for the fulfillment of the Great Commission, that the good news of Jesus Christ might be shared with the world, and that more and more might come to faith in Jesus. What a, what a blessing. These, these two events this week, what a, what a privilege I've been reminded of, I've been struck by, again, this week to be a part of the broader body of Christ, this, this sort of, if you want to think of it this way, this extended family. And, and, and it's a good thing in this case, <laughs> this extended family of, of faith that we get to be a part of. It really is sort of funny, if you think about it, to begin to think about all the things that, that, could, that could divide us as pastors of different churches. And maybe not funny, haha, but funny, interesting. If we really begin to think about all the things that can, that can push us apart, all the differences that there are between us as we gather there on Thursday mornings or on this particular Friday night. I mean, it's, a, uh, it's, it's just a hodgepodge of folks. Differences in theology, different ways of understanding God, really. I mean, there's some of that there. Differences in biblical interpretation. We, we've, there's certain passages of Scripture that different Christian traditions See sort of in different ways, without a doubt, different, uh, different worship styles, different ways of praying, that's for sure. I mean, you know, some people pay, play, pray really quietly and, and more reserved, and other people just pray really loud and boisterous. Some people like to pray written prayers or ones that they've memorized. Others like to be very, you know, extemporaneous and just... Spirit-led, I guess, that we might call it. Differences in missional strategy, differences of size, differences of programming priorities and what it is that we're giving our time to as churches, differences of personalities, differences of languages, differences of, in ways of relating to others. So many differences among us. And it's, you know... They can't help but peek their head out every once in a while, and it's, it's, it's okay. And yet, as striking as it is to think about all the things that could separate us, how awesome it is to think about that which binds us together. As we gather there on Thursday mornings to pray, or as we came together on that Friday night to celebrate the 90th anniversary of a church, our faith in God, our confidence in what it is that God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ, our personal living relationship with Jesus, our, our hearts that as we gather together, it's clear that they're submitted to Jesus and to Jesus alone. A love for God that as we gather together is sense that, that, is, that is real, that is genuine, that is, that is shaping us as individuals and as community and is, 
is, is creating a desire within us to do God's will in the world, a love for the people in our community that drive us to service and to compassion, a love for our local churches, but a love for the church of Jesus Christ in our city and really around the world that, that inspires and motivates all that, that we do. I mean, it is, it's really striking to think of all that could push us away, but it's even more powerful to think about all that pulls us together, all that unites us as the people of God. How tragic it would be, how tragic it has been, my friends, with that reality, to ever let the differences that can divide us, to get in the way of all that God has done in uniting us as his greater body of believers, both in a local church setting and in the broader spectrum of the Christian church. How sad that we would ever allow matters not of faith, but of personality or of opinion or of practice or of pride or of money or of whatever else to get in the way of our communion and to negate the good work that God might want to do in the world. How sad but how good it is for even us within our local congregation to recognize that even our local fellowship has been a part of such division. This happened before any of us were around, so it's, it's okay in a sense. But back in the 1950s, after this church had been planted back in 1910, actually it wasn't this church, it was Santa Barbara First Church of the Nazarene, after being planted in 1910, it was sustained and did well until the 50s. And there was, I'm still not sure of all the details. I've heard accounts and stories from people who were actually there or their parents were there. But, but uh, evidently there was some conflict between pastor and people and people and people. And the, the church decided that they were going to separate from the denomination, the Church of the Nazarene, and tried to kind of go in this independent direction. And the district superintendent did not think that that was such a good idea. And so he came up, and in a, in a pretty intense meeting, from what I've heard, where the pastor had been asked to leave but was trying to force his way back into the room... Crazy stuff, people. The district superintendent closed the doors, shut us down, and the church went in, went out of existence until about five years later, when some Nazarenes in town just couldn't stand it any longer and had to start another new church. But but that history of of division of differences that divide us is. Is very much a part, and, it, and just because we started a new church in 1960 doesn't mean in the last 60 plus years it, it hasn't been, there haven't been moments of division, differences that have come up among us, and we've experienced that, even perhaps some of us ourselves. How tragic indeed that the, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, this, this, this 
message that Paul has been preaching throughout the book of Romans, this message that has grabbed our hearts, that has somehow gotten a hold of our lives and and changed so many of us and transformed us into new people, could somehow be tarnished in the world in which we live by the inability of believers to, to love one another, really, and to serve alongside one another, to stay centered on this gospel together, and instead to be splintered and divided by the peripheral issues, really, that at the, at the end of the day just don't matter that much. You see, this was the issue that was facing Paul as he came to this, uh, this part of his letter to the Romans. He wanted to speak about a very critical issue. The work of God was being accomplished among these people. The power of Jesus Christ was at work in their midst. Their lives were being transformed. People were being set free from sin. Lives, minds, and hearts were being renewed. They were being sent into service in the world. And, and Paul was very much aware at this moment that, that all that, that, that God had done, all that had been built up in this church, in this region, in Rome, this major city, all that had gone into this and all that had been accomplished could be undercut, and it could be undone, and this body could be torn apart limb by limb by so-called disputable matters that seemed so significant to them in this moment, but were so insignificant in the bigger picture of things. Paul knew that this was a critical issue. In fact, scholars have noted that, that by sheer verse count alone, that Paul spends four times as much time on this particular issue here at the end of Romans in chapter 14 and 15 um, as he does on any other issue within the church in this, in this letter to, to the Romans. It is a critical issue, and he, he just belabors the point because it's a critical issue for him. He recognized the significance of this moment. All that he had taught them, all that they had learned, all that they had incorporated into their lives of faith, all of this could be swept away in a moment if they didn't learn how to work through the differences that divided them. You see, one of the one of the direct consequences of the doctrine of justification by faith is that, and stick with me if this is new, is that all are welcome. <laughs> that, 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 it, that, that, that salvation is a free gift of grace offered to anyone and everyone who would come to God in faith. Uh, So a direct consequence of the the gospel that Paul had been preaching is that all sorts of people were responding to it. No longer was it just one ethnic group or one type of people or one group of folk. It was all sorts of folks 
from all sorts of ethnic backgrounds and from all sorts of personal histories and from all sorts of religious histories who were now responding to this message of the gospel and it was getting messy. And that's what the church is. It's messy. I mean, look around you. You're a mess. No, I didn't mean it like that. We're, we're a mess. We're, we're messy. We're, 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 we're together we may be purebred, but alone we may be purebred, but together we're a mutt. I mean, we're just, there's so much that, that is different about us and so much that was different about the people in the church in Rome in these moments. No one was excluded. Paul would say in other places that, that in this family of faith there was neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. And while this was true, ideally and theologically and spiritually and, and, and in all ways true, it was still also true that the people then and the people now are learning how to live that out. <laughs> they were learning what it meant for there not to be any distinctions among them. It's interesting in the passage that we've read here at the beginning of 14 that Paul doesn't mention the, the, the groups. He doesn't mention them, like who was who, who had the weak faith and who had the so-called strong faith. He doesn't, he doesn't talk about who's... Maybe some scholars think that he's just trying to help avoid as much as he can, a sort of us and them mentality by not identifying, at least early on here, who thinks what and who thinks this. And it's just that some people think this and some people think that. The reality is, is that the context makes it pretty clear to us that he writes, first of all, of, of Jewish believers. Jewish believers who had, who had, come to faith in Jesus Christ, they had responded to the message of, of, of justification by faith, they had come to him, they were trusting in Jesus as their savior, and yet these are people who as Jewish Christians had, had, had been a part of the people of God for a long, long time. <laughs> And all that they knew about being the people of God was largely wrapped up into some of their particular practices and behaviors, two of those being not eating of meat and practicing holy days of celebration. These were two of the ways that, that they had been identified, two of the boundaries that had marked out for them what it meant to be the people of God. And so it was very, very critical to them. And even as they came to faith in Jesus and knew that it was Faith alone that saved them, it, it, was, it was very, very difficult. I mean, put, them, put yourself in their shoes if you can. It was very difficult to just suddenly one day say, okay, all that other stuff just doesn't matter. And so as a part of their faith in Jesus, they were still understanding that it was important for them to, to not eat pork in particular, but all meat, many of them, because you just didn't know what might be mixed in. And following the example of some of their great Old Testament heroes, and, and the practice of recognizing special days as significant and holy, whether they be annual celebrations or even the weekly Sabbath celebration. It would have been easy for these that Paul wrote of, these Jewish Christians, to, uh, to, to, to look at their, their practice of faith and think, well, this is how it 
It's been done among the people of God for centuries, and so obviously this is a good way to do it. And I'm just not quite sure about these new people who are coming to faith, these non-Jewish people who seem to have no respect for these traditions and these ways of marking out what it means to be the people of God. And so they might have begin, begun to cast some form of judgment on these folks, as Paul makes clear. Not only is Paul writing about the Jewish believers, though, he's writing about the Gentile believers here. He's writing about these who are later to faith, but have come to faith in Jesus from a secular, perhaps pagan background, other religions perhaps, but have come now to this faith in Jesus. And they had never known any of these food or holy day regulations. So for them and coming to faith in Jesus, it was just about, it was just about them and, and Jesus. It was just about living out this life of faith. None of these other practices mattered. And, and Paul writes, they, they couldn't figure out why this was so important to all these other, other folks. Why would eating, not eating meat be a big deal? Why, why would celebrating these particular holy days be so significant? Aren't we beyond that? Aren't we, aren't we more mature in our faith? Do we really need these little add-ons to our faith that is in Jesus and Jesus alone? And in fact, it appears that these folks were also beginning to look down on those Jewish believers who still felt the need to pay attention to food and the calendar. Obviously, those who were concerned about such issues were not as mature in faith. Obviously, obviously they were not as free in Christ. But what Paul has to say to these groups within the church in Rome, to these two particular groups that were making up the one church in Rome... We're trying to figure out what it meant, what it looked like to live together as the body of Christ, is that they needed essentially to lighten up. Instead of critiquing each other's faith, get off each other's backs, accept the other brother and sister in faith, just as God had accepted them. He says it two or three times in this passage, God has accepted them, you should as well. And as they heard them Paul saying that God had accepted them, undoubtedly the people would have heard, just as God has accepted you as well. They were to accept their brothers and sisters of differing opinion, just as God had accepted these others, and just as God had accepted them. God had welcomed them into this great family of faith, Paul says. And who were they to judge them? Who were they to say that somehow their faith was less or not as valuable? These were not matters, Paul goes on to say, that were central to Christian doctrine. These were not matters of sin or morality. If they were, Paul would have spoken some other word of instruction here. There are several times in Paul's letters where the people of God are endangered 
with moving into sin and immoral choices, and Paul's words to his people at those moments are to, 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 to take a clear stand and to, to, to try and win that brother or sister back, and if they are not able to be won back, to let them go to whatever it is that their decision would lead them to. These were not matters of sin or morality. These, for these groups of people, were cultural issues. They were ethnic issues. They were matters of opinion. They were matters of debate. They were matters of dispute. And Paul says that these were in no way to be allowed to seep into the cracks. You know how this happens? It happens in our culture way too much. Our culture that loves to argue, we love to debate, we love to be right, and to allow our matters of opinion, even within the church and even within the body of Christ, to seep into the cracks that may be forming and to simply begin to expand and to push and to divide and to separate and to to make one better and one worse and to tear apart the body of Christ, welcoming other believers with different beliefs or practices didn't mean that they were endorsing their practices. It didn't mean that they were somehow accepting their beliefs as their own now. It just meant for Paul that they were to to, to live out this ethic of love, to put into practice this call to love that God had placed upon his people Let the love of Christ that has welcomed you into the family of faith, Paul says, be your guide. I love what he says in verses 7 and 8. I don't have it on the screen, but maybe you can look back to your Bible. We don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. If we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. He says Jesus Christ died and rose again so that he could be the Lord of all of these types of decisions. (laughs) And so what Paul says in this passage is to watch out for the perils of pride and ego and that insatiable thirst of every human to be right, and instead to be people who seek the Lord on these issues. He's very clear. To trust for the Holy Spirit to guide our thinking, to submit our beliefs about these matters to the Lordship of Jesus. For the the Jewish believers to submit their belief about diet and calendar to the lordship of Jesus. And for the Gentile Christians to submit their non-belief about these issues to the lordship of Jesus. And to allow Jesus and his Holy Spirit to confirm within them what it is that they are to understand about these issues. To, To be open to his leading and to his light and even the changing of their minds, but until he would, to go on then just serving and living and loving and allowing those who find themselves in different places of understanding to also go on living 
and loving and serving, finding great contentment and joy in Christ. Different opinions exist in the church. You may be in a moment right now where all of your opinions are in exact agreement with all the other opinions of those around you. What a sweet spot that would be. (laughs) Most likely, we're in a position here this morning where all of us hold some opinions that other people around us, even in this place here this morning, don't hold. We have some beliefs or we have some practices even in our in our life with God that, that are of debate and are, would be classified in this disputable matter situation. They're not matters of sin or morality necessarily. They're, they're matters of tradition perhaps or ways of thinking or ways that we've related to Christ, ways that we've understood to be the markers, the boundaries for our life with God. And, and, and sometimes these opinions or these understandings just, they just butt up against each other. They just, they just clash. Paul invites us to be spirit-led. <laughs> and, and, and he invites us. This is, this is just very spiritual, friends. It's, it's not something I can just easily ABC describe. He invites us to be, to be spirit-led and to, be, to, to allow Jesus to give us these settled personal convictions and apparently, I mean, Paul might, you know, he might have, think higher than us than he should, but apparently, Paul believes that, that human minds, he doesn't think too high of God because he believes that human minds transformed and renewed by the Holy Spirit can reliably guide Christians in these matters. Do you believe that? I think what Paul wants to say in this this passage is, don't just decide what seems right to you on a disputable matter. Don't just decide what you've always decided. Don't just think about something the way that everybody else thinks about it or the way that nobody else thinks about it. Some of you are contrarians here in the room. And if most of the people are thinking about one thing one way, then you want to think about it the other way. Paul says, let's learn to be people, whether we're Jewish believers or Gentiles or whatever our heritage in the church of today, who are saying, Holy Spirit, just I, I want to be so centered on the gospel and all of these other issues. I'm going to trust you to help make clear to me what it is that you want me to think about that. And, and, and once I get some sense of conviction about that, I'm going to continue to live in that conviction, not lording it over anyone, but just simply living in that conviction, allowing others to have their own conviction about that matter. And when and if you want to change my conviction about that, then I'll be open to it. My ears will be ready to hear. My heart will be ready to respond. And I'll be ready to move in whatever direction you would have me to move in that issue. Because all I want to do is be led by your spirit. All I want to do is honor you, God. I don't care if I'm right or wrong. I don't care if my opinion gets the most public attention. I don't care if my voice is the loudest one that's heard. I don't care if other people's opinions bow down to mine. All I really care about is honoring you, God. 
and this can be something that gets in the way of that, and I don't want to let it get in the way. I'm going to fight with everything that I have, as a matter of fact, to not let it get in the way. We, Kyle and I just, we've had a little saying, I've shared it with many of you before, but uh, it's, a great, it's a great parenting tip, those of you with younger children, um, and it's just one that we have to say to each other every once in a while, still, uh, with our kids where they are in life although it's not necessarily true physically, but the statement is simply this, be the big person. Be the big person. I say it's not true physically because Thomas is actually much bigger than Kyla in these days of our life together. But, but for a parent to just, I mean, two-year-olds can push buttons, right? And four-month-olds, three-month-olds can push buttons, and six-month-olds, and... Five-year-olds and 12-year-olds and 14-year-olds can push buttons, and we can begin to just sort of get all riled up and, and something stirring within us, and, and, and suddenly, have you, ever, have you ever experienced this? If you're a parent, you probably have. You're like, you're like arguing with a two-year-old. You're, you're, you're like trying to convince them that your, right is, your way is right, and, and you're arguing with an eight-year-old, and, and you're like, well, that's probably, that's actually a good idea, <laughs> you know, and maybe they're winning the argument at some points, and, 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 and you've totally forgotten that you are the big person in the room, and you've been sucked into this way of relating, this way of seeing the situation that totally uh, has robbed you of your sense of self-control, of your ability to speak wisely, perhaps calmly, spirit-led. I just think that when it comes to these so-called disputable matters within the body of Christ, we just all have to kind of step back and be the big person. And just remember, perhaps, that when someone starts to make their opinion known about something and it's clear that that's just an opinion and this isn't a moral or a sin issue, that we just might just need to let them kind of have their, their chat, their, their vent, without necessarily needing to have ours as well. And over time, it could be that within a local body of believers and even across a city and, and even across the, the globe, that the church could begin to recognize the value of being the bigger person. Oh, what does it look like in, in our uh, context today? Interesting as I begin to think about a few of these issues that I could just mention to you today that could be disputable matters, that some of you, as soon as I mention them, your heart will say, that's not a disputable matter. <laughs> right? And, and it may not be. That's, that's okay. I'm, I'm going to take a jump at some of these. But I would just warn us 
that if our gut reaction, like our, like our, our just, just immediate response is, that's not a disputable matter, is that it very well may be. <laughs> that, that may be an indicator, in fact, that it very, may, very well may be. Some here this morning are folks who believe that to be a faithful Christian, one must believe in a literal seven-day creation. There I went and did it. There I went and did it. Others here believe that God is creator, but they don't feel that a belief in a certain way that he created is critical to Christian faith and to their life as a believer. On the other end of things, there are some people here this morning who have certain beliefs about the end of time. And in fact, when I read the book of Revelation this morning, you were like, that's not a mystery. I know exactly what that means. Some of you, just, you, you have certain ideas about how things are going to work out at the end of time when Jesus comes again. And there are others who understand uh, that this is not so significant, that, that they believe that Things are going to work out in the end one way or another. Jesus is going to come again and, and God's going to take care of us. And it's not a key determinant to our faith here today. There are, there are others still, and you can believe this or not, but there, there are still some here who believe that one of the identifying marks of Christians is that they abstain from all use of drugs or alcohol. Others don't see this as a critical issue for the believer, particularly the moderate drinking of, of alcohol. Other believers here this morning hold that one of the markers of being a Christian, at least in the United States, is belonging to the Republican political party. The, the two just kind of go hand in hand. And others here don't understand one political party to, to, to be aligned with Christian faith. And in fact, some here find other political parties to be more aligned with uh, their faith. Some who believe Christian kids should go to Christian schools. Others that believe Christian kids should be in public schools. Some who believe I should only listen to 97.5. Others believe I should only listen to 103.3 or whatever it might be for you. I'm a, it's just a few. I'm not going to attempt to say who are the weak and who are the strong in any of these positions necessarily. But it does seem to me that these are at least some of the disputable matters that are found within the walls of the church. And, and some of us here, and, and it's fine, this is what this whole message is about, some of us hold very dearly to some of the things that I just mentioned, and it's a core issue for you in your faith. And, and others, the things that I mentioned, it's like, yeah, I mean, that's nice, and that's, that's helpful, and that's a part of the world of faith, but it's not a key determinant in who I'm becoming. And, and, and what I want to say to us, and what I think Paul wants to say to us, is okay. 
okay. These aren't matters of sin or morality. They're things that we have learned. They're cultural. They're traditional, perhaps. They're things that we have picked up on over time. They're things that we have heard good arguments about and have been uh, meaningful to us. Wherever we find ourselves on the spectrum, whatever we think is right, and however we feel about those who think otherwise, our text would call us to a place of patience with one another. Those who feel one way about creation in the end times need to not think less about believers who think other ways about creation and the end times. Those of, those of you who hold strong opinions on alcohol or politics don't need to soften your stance necessarily or come to a place of agreement with those who think differently, but, but we uh, do need to keep a loving attitude. We need to give each other time. Our acceptance of one another our love for one another, again, doesn't mean we're endorsing each other's beliefs, but it does mean we're ultimately staying centered on something that's so much more important. Could it be, I just, I just thought about this, and this, this culture that we live in, this argumentative, debate-oriented talk show, you know, we just transfer everything that we hear on talk radio into our lives, this, how our lives have been so shaped by by argument and by debate. I just, I mean, I don't want to give him too much credit, but is it possible that the enemy who prowls around looking for someone to devour, and by me saying, is it possible, I am suggesting that it is indeed possible, <laughs> has used these side issues, these disputable matters to not only keep Christians arguing with each other, but to get us mad at each other, to make us less holy people, distracted and disengaged from the real mission that we are tasked with in this world of living out and sharing the gospel message, being unashamed of the gospel in the world in which we live. What are we allowing to tear apart the body and to tear apart the work of God in the church and in the world. The invitation of the text is for each of us to carefully examine the positions that we hold on these matters. Again, to submit our understanding to the lordship of Jesus, to ask him to transform our thinking along these lines, to renew our minds, and to continue to shape the way we respond to these issues. Our invitation is to welcome others who may feel differently about these issues, just as we've been welcomed by Jesus. John Wesley uh, wrote a sermon that he called a Catholic spirit. And by the use of the word Catholic, he wasn't referring to the Roman Catholic Church necessarily, but just the, the, the definition of that word is more along the lines of universal. So this 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 universal spirit, this spirit that, as he talks about in this sermon, is, is connected within the church of Jesus Christ. What it means to have a, a spirit that connects with other believers in Jesus 
He says these words, even though a difference in opinions, remember he's writing in the 18th century England, but even though a difference in opinions or modes of worship may prevent an entire external union, yet need it prevent our union in affection? Though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike. May we not be of one heart, though we are not of one opinion. Without doubt, we may. In this, all the children of God may unite, even though they retain these smaller differences. These remaining as they are, they may help one another increase in love and in good works. If your heart is right with God, Wesley says, quoting scripture, then give me your hand. If your heart is right with God, if your beliefs are aligned with the gospel, then give me your hand. And he says just some quick things that I want to tell you what it means to give me your hand. He said, if you give me your hand, that means, that means you love me. And it, I won't read it. It's an amazing quote, but he says, I'm not just talking about the love that puts up with me. I'm not talking about just surface level, yes, I love him. He's totally ignorant, but I love him. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about just a self-sacrificing love for me who may have a different opinion than you or for the other who may have a different way of thinking about these matters than you. To, to, if, if your heart be with, with Christ, to take my hand, it means to love me. It also means, Wesley says, to, to help me. <laughs> there, there may be some disputable matters that I think are disputable that actually aren't. And there may be times where I tell myself or one would tell themselves that this is a disputable matter. And actually, I need you to say to me, no, James, there is scripture after scripture after scripture that says this is not an issue that you are to be involved in as a follower of Jesus. I love you so much that I'm not going to call you on the debatable matters, but I am going to call you on the issues that are going to steer you off the path and into a way of destruction. I love you so much, I'm going to help you. To take each other's hands means that we're going to watch out for each other in the decisions that we make. And so often Christians have thought one thing is spirit-led where really it's just them-led. <laughs> and the last one Wesley says is, will you love me, will you help me, and will you just pray for me? And it may sound simplistic, but to the one with whom we disagree or we have a different opinion, to love and to help and to pray. And not to pray that God would change their opinion. That's so cheap. But to pray that God would be with them, that God would help them, that God would grow them in faith, and that they wouldn't make a disputable matter a central issue either, and that they would stay so centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ that it would grow and the love of God would so fill their lives that it would expel not only the sin but these other issues that are clouding 
their direction. Will you love me? Will you help me and will you pray for me? saying that somewhat rhetorically, but I'm saying, I'm, I'm actually asking that of you. And I hope that you would ask that of one another. I'm going to invite our worship team to come. Invite us all to stand. As we, uh, as we, as we sing this morning, There's a couple of things I'd love for you to just think about. I, I think the first thing that I'd really want us all to be very clear about here this morning is that we're, we're, uh, we're, we're not engaging in, in some activity and rationalizing it and claiming it as a disputable matter. I, I don't want anyone here to kind of walk out saying, see, Pastor James said, there's disputable matters, and this one that, that I believe in, it's, it's a disputable matter, so nobody say anything to me about that. If, just hold, hold our, our beliefs up to the lordship of Jesus right now, not to culture, not to the people around us, not to our tradition, not to what the person next to you thinks necessarily. Hold your beliefs about core issues and about potentially disputable matters up to the Lordship of Jesus in this moment. Would you just, again, allow the Spirit to move through you, either convict you of a change that needs to be made or convict you of that this is the way, indeed. Walk ye in it. I think the second thing I really want us to think about, though, is that that person or those people with whom we just... Even as I was mentioning some of those issues this morning, you just got a little fire lit, and you're like, how can those people think that? They're so restrictive, or they're so liberated. You begin to step back and say, Jesus, unite us together. May we not be in the hands of the enemy, distracted from the task at hand, but may we allow those things to find their place that we might be in the hands of the Lord, who is the Lord of all, used for his glory, used for his purpose. Let's sing together. Let's reflect together.